And Q, Andrew. I've got to find me page first. I know. They're so demanding. Yeah, God damn. You know, you show just, up and they expect you to leap straight into it. There's not even a coffee waiting for you. Um, I, just, I just love the English way of speaking. I have to find me page. You've got to find me page, man. <laughs> not, not I have to find the page. <laughs> Andy, you got your coffee when, when we, we met in Orlando. So there you go. There's your coffee. Came to it's the States and left without, without having one. to deal with me. I know, and I missed Dave by a week. I was a bit gutted about that, to be honest with you. I know. That would have been great if we all planned better. It bothered yeah, you that it came so close? That. Yeah, like a week later. He, he, he almost got there. me. <laughs> it was like an episode of The Fugitive. <laughs> he was just here. <laughs> so you were Jack McGee and I was David Banner. Is that how it works? <laughs> yeah. I guess so, right? I just skipped town before you showed up. Okay, I found page 248, which is the page I need for the girl who was death. More. <laughs> I think it has to be followed with the the uh, sinister laugh every time. More. <laughs> Where am I? The Voyager cast. Who are you? The second in command. What do you want? To cover every iteration of Star Trek. I will not watch Voyager, Enterprise, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, or Discovery. My life is my own. By hook or by crook, you will. I am not a prisoner of your podcast whims. Alright, you want to do the prisoner? Alright then. The Village People. An exploration of the prison with Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and Andrew Lay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the village people as we rapidly approach the runway that number six drives down at the beginning of every episode. Because there's only three left. Wow. Mm. What a strange trek it's been. I am Andrew Leyland, as ever, and I am joined by my colleagues of lethal cunning on this journey. I've forgotten who you all are. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a complete mental block. OK, I've not had a complete mental block. I am joined by the Potter, Paul Spataro. I could see how you could forget us. We've only been doing a show together for about, I don't know, what, eight, nine years now? Yeah, it's easy to forget. Yeah, the boxing you know, MC. Short-term sorry. memory. Yeah, the boxing MC, Dave Pascarella. It's good to be here once again. I'm the, I'm the Scots Napoleon, Dr. Bill Robinson. <laughs> On today's program, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. This is the girl who was death. The prisoner meets a delightful distraction with a deadly, dangerous plan for his destruction in The Girl Who Was Death. As she takes him on a murder merry-go-round with all the fear of the fair. I'm going to do you the honor of letting you die superbly. Not yet, darling. My name is Death. 
heart pounding, your hands shaking. Nice of you to drop in. You'll soon get the point. This strange, beautiful girl takes the prisoner from the present into the Napoleonic past. You're quite sure you killed him. Father, who taught me? Be sure to watch The Girl Who Was Death, the next exciting episode of The Prisoner on this channel. It is the third from the last episode. Is, is, that, is that pen penultimate? Is that how it works? At the penultimate? Something like that. Isn't it? it sounds like a I, banana rum. I usually think the technical term is third from last. All right, that'll do. Uh, it was written by Terence Feely from an idea by David Tomlin, directed by David Tomlin. Do you all know who David Tomlin is? No. no. David Tomlin went on to be first unit assistant director on the Indiana Jones movies. Oh. See, I always expect when you say, do you know who so-and-so is, that the answer is going to be, it's Patrick McGowan. <laughs> <laughs> In this particular case, it is not Patrick McGowan. The synopsis for this one runs thus. The prisoner meets a girl who believes they are made for each other. He's a born survivor and she's a born killer. It's quite the challenge. It was first broadcast weirdly in Scotland first on the Thursday, the 18th of January, 1968, followed by its British premiere on Friday, the 19th of January. 1968 cbs first broadcast this on saturday the 7th of september 1968 to nine million viewers watched this rather uh, intriguing piece of television number two this week is played kind of sort of almost by kenneth griffith who is a very familiar face on british television probably not so much to you guys i would imagine he looks familiar, but, you know, I just can't quite place him. But he's but, been in Danger Man and loads of other stuff. Ah, but going back to what you said before about uh, a, the the woman, the girl who is death, who once who is a killer and the man who is a survivor. Isn't that just the definition of marriage? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So we we flirt with the girl who is death every day. Yes, and that's what keeps life interesting, Shirley. <laughs> Don't call me Shirley. I will not call you Shirley. This one started, believe it or not, Ripley, as an idea for Danger Man before Danger Man morphed no. into the prisoner. Yeah, I'm shocked as well by the news that this wasn't a prisoner episode. Uh, it's, I think, honestly, it's the weakest one of the season. I think it's the weakest episode. Yeah, we're, we're not going to fight. Because <laughs> it's um, not... It's not it's really not, not a prisoner episode. No, I think, episode I think it's prisoner. one of the weakest things ever put on television. Oh, I don't agree with that. I think it has some merit. But the problem with it is it is a spoof of a spoof. It is very much trying to do the Avengers or Batman or one of those campy 1960s things that were themselves spoofs. Yeah, I was so, thinking more Get Smart. Yeah, that kind of thing. Certainly. So it's a step um, up then because it's not Gilligan's Island. It's not Gilligan's Island, no. No. So I Actually, honestly you know think... what? It's not that far removed in plot points from Gilligan's No. <laughs> I honestly think this is where they pretty much threw their arms up and said, yeah, I think we're done. Well, by by this time, did they know they were done? I or... certainly think that by this point, Magoon had decided that this was not going to another season. It was one and done. 
certainly if you look at the production order, which is not the order that we've been watching them in. But you've basically had nothing but off concept episodes for the past four weeks. And I think of them, do not forsake me or my darling living in harmony and the girl who was death. This is the weakest by far. Uh, Two of them obviously came about because Magoon just wasn't available forsake me or my darling and this one were both filmed or partially filmed while he was doing ice station zebra so if you were watching which by the way listeners we do have hopes of doing on is it yours and it may actually air before this but who knows who knows if you were watching carefully the location footage mcgoon's nowhere to be seen it's particularly noticeable in the car chase not as noticeable at the foreground because obviously he's done up in the Deerstalker hat with the mutton chops and everything. So it's easier to disguise Frank Mayer, who was his stunt double. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all of his stuff was filmed later when he returned from Ice Station Zebra. And you can tell all that stuff because it's a really obvious backdrop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plot wise, this <laughs> one's just... so enthusiastic. Bill. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. This one's weird to me. When they did a season of ITC stuff, like in the late 80s, I think it was, they would regularly do, I don't know whether American television did this, but every now and again, British television would do an evening devoted to a particular subject. So we had Star Trek night. We had two of them. We had um, a Starsky and Hutch night. We had a Charlie's Angels night, believe it or not. And they would have new documentaries and then select episodes from those shows would err. And ITV did an ITC week. And every night of that week, they would err a famous ITC show. So the one night was the same. The next night, they showed the champions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And for The Prisoner, they picked this. Now, if I'm going to pick an episode <laughs> of The Prisoner, just a one-off episode for people to say, this is what the show was, it would not be this one. Really? <laughs> yeah, I know that shocks you. But I, I'm looking at this going, really? This was the one you picked? As this is what the show was like? No. No, it wasn't. Watching it, people were like, ah, oh, I can't imagine why they canceled this program. Mm, so, you know, yeah, if if you had somebody who said, oh, I'm interested in the show you're talking about, The Prisoner, which episode should I watch? There is no question this would be the last one you'd pick. Yeah, in fact, I would, I would even pick a case of if you pick selected ones for people this wouldn't even be on the list or yes i would recommend the show but don't watch this episode <laughs> yeah you can skip this one unless you're on denu- lsd huh? well, yeah, yeah. Then. so needless to say <laughs> we're all very high this. on this episode yeah the denu marvel this one where, where have the kids come from oh uh, nowhere why, why are the kids in the village now? I guess well, we, we've oh, yeah. seen it in all yeah, the former episodes kids spies. leading up to here that there were kids living in the... Ve- oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it's well, like- they kind of explain that because he says, oh, children will soften them up. Yeah, bring them in. Yeah, well, it's like, so did they kidnap these children? That's were they, the implication. Were they... Were they uh, yeah, I... I mean... You know, yeah. there's a lot of attractive women in the prisoner, so I'm not assuming that stuff's mm. happening. But I don't know, unless these are all Joe 90s. And they've just brought these kids in because these kids were spies. Did you ever see Joe 90? No. Is that a uh, 
Jerry Anderson thing? Yeah, Joe 90 is a Jerry Anderson show that ostensibly is this big, fun, boys on adventure show about this 10-year-old lad called Joe who basically gets quantum leaped every week. He gets his brain imprinted with whatever skills he needs this week to survive this week's spy mission that this 10-year-old's dad willingly sends him on every week. It's a Jerry Anderson show, so it has a massive body count, like higher than Captain Scarlet. People die in the most gruesome ways every week in this, lest we forget, kids show. So let's assume that these are all just Joe 90s and they've all been spies at various points. And then they've decided, I don't want to do this anymore. I've got interested in girls. And they're like, no, you're off to the village. Well, since we <laughs> since we jumped to the end already. Uh, so I do have to say that the. If we look at the implications of this episode in the actual world of the prisoner and that. I think this leads into the next two episodes, which peek behind the curtain, our other hosts have seen the next episode. I think we see, or in my opinion, is that number six has pretty much shown them, you're not going to break me. I got you. You know, because he does the little taunt at the end, you know, because they're off. It's like, oh, yeah, we, we brought in the kids and he just reads them a fairy tale. And he turns as he's walking out of the room and says, you know, good night, children everywhere. And he's looking at the camera, basically saying, piss off. Yeah. So. That, you know, may, maybe I'm giving feeding too much into it because it's no. been. I think the, the, this episode is a story he's making up. I don't get that he's reading this from the book at all. Oh, no. Yeah. he. I mean, the, he's just going off the pictures and he's ma- making it up, but he's just driving them batshit crazy because the the kids didn't do anything. He's just like, hmm. you know, good night, children. <laughs> See you and tomorrow. That's also the get out of jail free card, isn't it? That this is a story six is making up as he goes along for these kids, but also to wind up number two, then it doesn't yeah. have to make any sense. Right, right, because they're they're gonna sit there and try to ponder things out of it. What, it, what was it? This mission? What is it? Ah, it's a bloody fairy tale. <laughs> well, this yeah. this does kind of in that respect, it builds on uh, Hammer into Anvil that he, you know, of him playing mind games with them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> it's it's there's, there's nothing in there to really give you a, a clue as to where they're going or why they're going there. And, you know, that's often okay. Uh, if the ending feels satisfying, this oh, ending didn't feel satisfying. No, as the uh, trip was going on, it didn't really feel that satisfying. And I'm a little surprised at that because I don't mind, or I kind of like the concept of one dangerous situation into another, into another, you know, kind of like a arcade in the comic books. Mm. Uh, you know, that's that's almost what it felt like while I was watching it. But it it all felt so silly mm-hmm. that I never felt invested in it. And I think if he had told if he had been telling, you know, a more chilling story to the kids where it was just a little bit more realistic, then I think it would have kind of had the effect that it was intended to. God bless. God bless. I'm with you 100% because when it started, I found it to be interesting. It's like, oh, well, maybe this is like a prequel of something from when he was on the job. Then up, maybe, I don't know. 
But when it started to get nuts, I'm like, oh, they gave him LSD. Yeah. So, Andy, what is the century in cricket? Uh, when you bowl 100. And how do you bowl 100? I have no idea. It's cricket. Nobody understands cricket. You, oh, okay. By, by throwing a, a hand grenade to the guy with the bat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what? what? Drawing fingers did. was bad. Yeah. It was, the, it was the 1970s Oakland days. Yeah. yeah I, I, I Andy won't get that. That guy was making some horrible faces. That guy looked like he was going to drop a deuce when he was throwing that ball. <laughs> That's true. Did, Bill, this is more for you. Did you spot Christopher Benjamin? Yes, I saw him. The, uh, good, good, the guy good. that was the scorekeeper and then the... Uh, um, right, we're we're talking about the guy who was Sir Keith in uh, Inferno and in um, The Talent yeah. of Wing Chiang. And, uh, That's him. Yeah. I spotted him. Spot of the day. See, I don't... It's a weird one, this. It is the worst episode of the series, by far. Because I still enjoyed it. I was... You preempted me again. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. I was just going to say the same thing. I quite enjoyed it for what it is, which is a spoof of those 60s TV shows that were a little bit campy and silly. And it does, it, it rattles along for a fair play. I don't think I was bored with it, but I don't think it's a great episode of this show. And I don't mind the off-concept ones. Like we said, we enjoyed living in harmony and we enjoyed do not forsake me for what it was and any times they played with the formula like in many happy returns which is 30 minutes of silence essentially is clever there's a part of me that thinks there's a couple of episodes here that aren't quite as clever as they were because they've not got mcgowan he's off making a film so do not forsake me comes about because they don't have the lead actor this is a draft script or an idea from another show. And that's what makes you think that it's at this point they just went, yeah. They've lost George Markstein at this point, who was the story editor. I personally think you can tell. Um, and when we get into the next episode, there's a there's a story about what he thought of once upon a time as well. But I think at this point McGowan is being given a little or is taken a little bit too much control and he's not really a writer he can finesse he can finagle he can change things he can rewrite because it's his show but this this one this one just felt like what it was not an episode of this show that was made into this show yeah yeah i mean to to some extent it definitely did because you know you're watching this early on and again, it, it you know it raises the questions right away. You know, is is he is this looking back into the past? Is this something where they've released him somehow and he's doing these things? Uh, so so it had it had the air of mystery about it that would potentially lead to a successful episode, but it felt short of that. And and you know it, it really just I give him credit for kind of wanting to go off concept. Uh, you know, you mentioned Living in Harmony, which, you know, we liked. And uh, on the uh, Facebook page, Kirk was, uh, you know, it, he, he couldn't believe that we liked it. He thought it was the worst episode of the series. Uh, and to that, I say, Kirk, did you watch this one? Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, I hope Kirk's working his way through when he gets to this. And see well, he mentioned the last episode, so he's watched them all by this point. So he's living, living in Harmony, I thought, was a successful effort at going off model and, and 
bringing us into something where we didn't quite know what was going on. And then when they, it finally all fell into place, it felt like, okay, you know, I get it now. Uh, this one doesn't. This this one just, you know, plus some of the things were just so dopey. You know, he's, he's sitting there with his Sherlock Holmes outfit on and his mutton <laughs> chops and they make him get up and box. It's like, what the hell is that all about? Mr. X. You know, it, it just to be a little more grounded in reality. Yes. Yes. Well, that, that's what I'm saying when it, it's a spoof of a spoof. Yeah, it you feels know, like this this is a an, an effort to be a comedy show, and this is not a comedy show. No. Uh, and and some shows, you know, I mean, Star Trek, you know, had Trouble with Tribbles, which was an effort at a comedy show. That's one, you know, a beloved episode. Uh, but you know, this one failed. <laughs> this, this just it, didn't didn't hit the mark. It does, and it fails, I think, because Magoon can't do comedy. I think he's great. Bill thinks he's great. You two are on the fence. I think he's a fantastic star. I think he's a fantastic leading man. I don't think he's funny. Now, you just mentioned Star Trek. Star Trek has an ace in the hole, though. Shatner's funny. Shatner can do comedy. Whenever they did a, a less than serious episode of The Saint, Roger Moore can do comedy. Magoon can't. Magoon's not funny. He's not a comedic actor. He can be dryly amusing, but that's different. That's not playing comedy. I and I think like it to suffers see, a bit. I would like to see Magoon in an ensemble with other actors of his level and see how he does, because I think he would probably really almost steal the picture from other actors just because of his presence. Well, he uh, kind of does that in his Columbo's. He's up for me. He's up there with Robert Culp and uh, the guy who's in the very, very first one. I can't remember his name. He did about four or five of them and he was really good. He's up there with those two as being the better of the Columbo villains because he's giving Peter Falk somebody who can go toe to toe with him. And they were always the good ones, the ones where he had an actor who was equal to his capabilities. Uh, the the other one you're thinking of is Gene Barry. That's the one. Yes. Uh, he's in the very first episode and then he comes back a few times across the show. He's always an exceptionally good villain. You know you're in for a good time when it's him. And Magoon's the same. Magoon gives Pat Peter Falk a worthy adversary. But he needs somebody to basically play off of him. And if you've got like a weak actor, they're going to they're just going to fail against him because he's very tough. Whereas this one. I don't think Justine Lord failed at all. I I thought she. Was I was going to say I was like, are you screen. telling? I was like, are you t- telling me that you didn't like Justine Lord? I mean, no, she was great, yeah. and uh, I love the fact that they are very much emphasizing the fact that she was a ballet dancer. Like every single shot of her starts with a <laughs> slow pad up her legs. Mm. But no, she was brilliant, and she, I don't. She doesn't really have a lot of dialogue. No. So the so, fact that she manages to steal the show without saying anything is quite impressive. So I I was looking at her makeup and I was trying to think what, what they were going for. And then I kind of thought about it. And maybe she's supposed to look a little bit like a skull. Yeah. Uh, which I didn't catch at first. And actually not until watching it this time because I'm looking and I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah, maybe she's supposed to be, you know, she is death. So uh, did you sense, catch actually. Did you catch the cameo of the camera guy? I did catch Alexis Canner's cameo, yes. You guys remember Alexis Canner was the uh, the mute guy in Living in Harmony? The kid? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I did not catch his cameo. 
yeah, he's the photographer on the um on the roller coaster. And then like on a Ferris wheel, you <laughs> Yeah. And literally, according to the book, he was literally just the He came to the set because he was just hanging about with David Tomlin, who was his friend. And David Tomlin says, Well, we we kinda need an adversary for this bit. We've only got Patrick, well, Frank Mayer, chasing Justine Lord around. So we kinda need something else. And he said, Okay, I'll do it. And he's basically just wearing the clothes he was wearing <laughs> on the day that he was there. He nicked, apparently he nicked the hat off um, one of the crew and then got some shoe polish and dyed his hair black. And that was it. All his dialogues ad-libbed, such as it is. His entire role is an ad-lib. Apparently it wasn't in the script. They just felt they needed somebody else there to kind mm. of give a bit of antagonism to the scene. Right, you've got to go to the tunnel of love, mate. Yeah, and all that looked looped, <laughs> didn't it? Do you know what is cool? The very first time we went to Port Marion, God, late 80s, middle of the 80s, I can't remember what the day was, I bought a sticker that was the You Have Just Been Poisoned, and it was a translucent <laughs> sticker, and you could put it at the bottom of any glass. Oh, wow. So I had one of them. I had one of those stickers. See, I, I just picture you going there and buying the Deerstalker cap and the fake mutton chops. That's what I thought no, you were going to say. You, know, you have to go to 221B Baker Street to buy that. Uh, yeah. But, but that's, I mean, ultimately, I, you know, I, I watched the entire episode. I stayed with it. I didn't, you know, it didn't like turn me off to the point where I stopped paying attention. But it just kept feeling like fail after fail to me. Um. I found it interesting also that that it was largely a silent episode. You know, that that, that there was an awful lot of time where there was no dialogue whatsoever. Just music. Yeah. And I I thought that was another interesting experiment. I didn't think it worked as well. I can't remember which was the previous one where they did it with uh, no dialogue for many happy returns. Yeah, I thought that one was much more successful in doing it. But I thought this was a return to that. Uh, and I they, they were trying it again. I wonder if was this a Danger Man script for when it was a 30 minute series, not an hour. And that's, had to do that a lot seems of possible. Because that's what it, it felt like that to me as well. It felt like there was quite a bit of padding in this and that it wasn't quite up to filling its 50 minutes, which is why it comes as a surprise to learn that McGowan apparently went to Lou Grade, the head of ITC, and asked for extra money for this episode to make it a two parter. So they could cobble it together and release it as a film, as was done with many TV shows. The Man from Uncle did that all the time. Every single two-part episode of Man from Uncle was released around the rest of the world as a cinematic film, and normally released as like um, when they used to do two films in one, they do double bills. Those Man from Uncle pictures were the the second feature. Um, the the knock-on effect with that was every single two-part episode of The Man from Uncle never heard of here as a two-part episode. Yeah, they did that with Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, like. they did it with the Galactica as well. Yeah, and the pilot episodes of Butt Rogers and yeah. various others. Yeah. Yeah, but this this does not seem like the one that you want to hang your no. head on to say, let's make this one a theatrical release. No. So well, I'm it depends what you're smoking no. at the time. Well, yeah, I'm that is that is always a possibility that there was a little. Uh, Let's just say misplaced confidence based upon reasons that don't have to do with quality. Isn't it great? Oh, yeah, it's great. Give me the thing. Hey, you know what? 
in in all fairness, if you kind of had that false sense of enlightenment that people get, and you're watching this episode, I could see where this would be like fascinating. Well, I did find it interesting that the opening scene had a windmill. So, were they trying to say this is Don Quixote-esque? It may have been. Mm. Yeah, I think this is one you can very definitely read into it however you want. Because there's the the really dreamlike bit in the middle where Justine Lord is just waving her hands like she can use the force. <laughs> She's spinning. And he's spinning his car around. Oh, yeah, that was a little silly. But if it's a story he's telling the kids... Yeah, you know, it suddenly makes perfect sense. Well, I say perfect sense because it makes sense that when he when he hid in the bushes and hopped on the back of the helicopter that she flew around and landed back in the same spot and he hid back in the same bushes. Mm, Made perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, I see why he needed more money. They couldn't have just landed in a different position. That was a little lazy. I was like, ah, oh, mark off for that. Well, it's like chasing somebody onto a roller coaster. You just wait. They'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> True. Well, Frank Mayer said he had to do that loads of times for all the different camera angles and everything else, and he was sick at the end of it. Uh, <laughs> Poor guy. Did you also notice, again, Danger Man viewers, there is an actor in this show called uh, John Drake. Uh, I did. I I thought I heard the name somewhere in there. So that is another one of those things where people have assumed it is definitely a sequel to Danger Man, but it's just the actor's name happens to be John Drake. Mm. So I don't know whether that was coincidence or whether McGowan saw the actor's name and thought, aha, or whatever. I have no idea. But given that this episode started filming without him, for the reasons we've already said, I can assume he wasn't involved in the casting because in the in the cricket match stuff, is he on location as well in the cricket match stuff? I can't remember. He's there in the cricket match because that's right, not okay. a backdrop. So, so he's actually there for the cricket. All right, so he may have been involved in that casting then. Is there anyone in England who actually plays cricket, or is it just like a fairy tale? No, everybody plays cricket. No, it seems like on... like like ru- rugby is a batshit crazy sport because you're like taking your life into your hands. But it seems like everybody at some point in their life has played rugby. Yeah, cricket have... cricket is just kind of this mythological sport that it feels like nobody's ever played, uh, and it and it faded into obscurity, you know, two hundred years ago. No, uh, one well, of the guys on we... Top Gear, uh, yeah, is a big was was a, or I don't know if he still plays, but he was a, a like a famous cricket player. Has he found anybody to play against? There was a test match cricket match yesterday between England and Ireland. Okay. Well, you know what? It's it's just because I am so egocentric that since it's never made the slightest inroads into the United States, I just assume it doesn't exist. Well, it's a civilized game, isn't it? Rugby (laughs) is not big in the United States, but I've seen... I've actually played a game of rugby in my life. Oh, rugby's nothing more than, like, backlot football. What are you talking about? Yeah, rugby is... He's, you're going to go out and play football, go beat each other up. <laughs> yeah, rugby. Rugby's our version of the Canadian ice hockey. If there's not blood all exactly. over the pitch by the time you finish, you've not been doing it right. But I, I've never. You got a field, you got a anything, ball, go get hurt. Yeah. Basically. I've never seen anything with rugby being played in the United States. I mean, with cricket being played, rather, in the United States. No. Whereas rugby, my, I have. My entire family's a rugby players, every single one of them except me. And they're I all played big, in, I played in one game ever. And and I used to have the shirt that said NYPD rugby team. 
So because mm. my friends were on that team and they gave me a shirt. Mm. Uh, my granddad, my granddad was on the Navy rugby team. Okay, so but cricket, nah. <laughs> no, the ashes, the ashes start soon. The ashes are very big. Uh, cricket's massive. Uh, it doesn't feel like this. Yeah, I know, but it, it is. I, you know, I say that not with that with not trying to be a wise guy. I, I really feel. No, like no, I, it's not a game that is transferred to America for whatever reason. Maybe because it is very long and takes ages to play. You know, matches can go on for days. There's nowhere to obviously put adverts in it. So it's not going to appeal to network television because they need sponsors and stuff. But yeah, it's cricket is massive, particularly here in Australia, in the West Indies, where I think we nicked it from. All that stuff. And especially since they blow the guy up at some point. People don't want to watch That's, that. See, I would think that would be more of a draw. Yeah, that just adds to the joy. You never know if you're going to hit a, hit a ball that's going to explode in your face. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, that's, so can you, that's TV at its best. So can you catch a cricket ball if it's coming at you and throw it? Or well, that was just because you knew it was going to blow up? No, no, you can. You can If you catch a cricket ball, you ca- they're out. If they hit really? it and you catch it, they're out. Wait, no. It, the batter or the... Yeah. Wait, so the batter can catch the ball? No, the batter can't catch the ball. Okay, well, the well, well the ball. what do you call the guy with the stick? Is that the batter or is that the pitch? No, that's not the pitcher. That's the... The what do you call the the bolt? Wait, the wouldn't the bowler be the guy that's throwing the ball? The bowler is the guy that throws the ball. Yes. Okay. Well, what's the guy that hits the ball? That would be the batsman. The batsman. Now, is there a catcher? The, the anyone can catch it. No, it's, it's, when 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 the bowler throws the ball. Oh yeah, if, there's a if guy. If the batter doesn't the hit it, is there somebody yes. there who catches it? There's Does a guy that behind the wicket. Yeah. Yes. You know, I feel to me. It seems to me like if we were to compare this to baseball, then if you if you were at bat and a major league pitcher threw the ball and you tried to reach out and catch it, <laughs> odds are that you'd have a broken hand. And and oh no, you can a you lot can of your hand might be cricket ball without a glove. <laughs> so now, did, I mean, do they when they throw it in cricket? And and again, I don't want to go too far on this, but. Do they throw it really hard? You know, are they throwing it like 90 miles an hour? Or? Is it oh, un- no. underhanded? It's underhanded or overhanded when they throw? It can be both. Ah. Primarily cool. overhanded. Do Do they have any sort of like a, a you know, th- something that reads the speed of the pitch? I don't think they do in cricket, no. We do that in tennis. Because in, in baseball, uh, the probably the average for a pitcher right now is probably somewhere in the mid-90s as far as miles per hour. Uh, and again, if you reached out and you tried to grab that with your hand, your odds are you'd have many broken bones in that hand. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the, the point of cricket is to bowl it particular. I mean, there are fast bowlers. But, I so, don't, but I'm I don't just picturing the scene now where he reaches out and grabs it and throws it. You know, is that even theoretically possible? Yes. Is there a uh, Abbott Costello version of who's on first for cricket? <laughs> And if not, there, we need there, to work on it. could be. <laughs> Who's the bowler? What's the batsman? What's, what's the name of the guy that catches the ball? Who? Who's on first? Yes. If you have bases. Like, I've just brought up the... Yes, yes, you can stop at bases. Or similar. Oh, no, you, you, you run from wicket to wicket. Sorry. That's a wicket. 
the wicket is that was the guy that was the guy in return of the jedi what are you talking the about wicket is the wooden thing behind you it's three pieces of wood with two pieces of wood balanced between the three pieces of wood and the idea for the bowler is to knock that wood wait a minute wait a minute and the batsman is, is to defend the wood is this where the term sticky wicket came from very probably yes ah look at me all of the english <laughs> it means like, somebody it's like pine tar and baseball see paul so it's like that. you hit the wicket and the ball just sticks to it instead it of knocking just, it down yeah. wait a minute what's wrong with this wicket this is glued together it's, it's hey governor this wicket. is a sticky wicket <laughs> it goes all right we gotta get off cricket we gotta get off this but it goes back as far as the napoleonic wars you've been and that brings to, us back to the episode with you've been listening to cricket talk yes <laughs> even though i don't know much about <laughs> cricket at all you know enough to educate us. Well, Burley. Three 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 Americans and a daft Englishman discuss cricket. Discuss something they know nothing about. Isn't that every episode of every show we've ever done? I was gonna say it hasn't stopped us yet. Yes. All right, getting back to, to Justine Lord, because uh, uh I find she pretty Yeah, she was in the young ones. Was she in the I mean, young ones? She was a, like, uh, she played the White Witch. She was, oh, she had like right. black hair. Yeah, and, yeah. Have you recasted her? Oh, I didn't even think of that because I was so. Hmm. Recast. I just couldn't help. Every time I looked at her, I thought Barbara Eden. Oh uh, well, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, especially with the freaky eye makeup. Uh, I, I, I would think, although I really don't like the actress, eh, she's all right. Uh, for nowadays could be, um, Gwyneth Paltrow. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that's a good call. Uh, yeah, cause I mean, the number two was barely there. Well, yes. and, and maybe now we should recast number two. Number two work for who does number two work for? That's right, buddy. You I show did. that turn I got I got two guys. I got two guys, and neither one is contemporary to when the show came out. Because I couldn't think of anybody contemporary that I would go with. But more recent times, I had two guys. I have Jonathan Price. Oh yeah. Mm. Uh, and I have Michael Emerson. Oh, oh from, yeah, person yeah. of interest, yeah. Also, even one what? of those guys I thought would fit the role, but uh, but I didn't, I couldn't think of somebody from the '60s who I really liked in the role. Maybe uh, like uh, Elijah Cook Jr. He yeah, looks kind of like. Right? What about uh, Herbert Long? Yeah, he, we're putting Herbert Lom in a I lot sp- now. <laughs> well, I'm especially surprised. being being a crazy guy in the uh, you know, with the plot to destroy, mm-hmm. you know, that straight out of yeah, uh, the could, Pink Panther. Yeah, he could fit. Yeah, he could fit it. Charles Gray could have done it. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. I picked Harvey Corman. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually great because it was too ridiculous for Herbert Lom. I, you know, he he's funny, but he he's he, he could do it straight. Harvey Coleman would have been perfect with this. So all the uh, King's horses and all the King's men. Yes. Do, 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 that'll, do. that'll be next episode. Um, the uh, so there's an there's an alliance, an anti-London alliance of Scottish, Welsh, Irish, and and Northern Yorkshire marshals. Yeah, probably. Uh, 
something to do. They were going to blow up London. Yeah, I don't know that the plot entirely makes sense if you analyze it too much. You know what I did like that Patrick McGowan did here that. I mean, obviously it was in the script, but when he's tied to the chair and and he's just like trying to get out, trying to get out. And then he goes, wait a minute. And he just slides it up <laughs> and the back on the chair pops off mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, I'm out. OK. Uh, oh, and the other thing that Justine Lord that did that was just so I hate to say cute, but when she was throwing those grenades. Wee, wee. <laughs> ah, she and then she had that like little pointy helmet on with the machine gun and the rocket launcher. Ah, it was great. It was great. Good scene. Good scene. And the crazy traps he was in. The uh, the candles giving off cyanide gas, and he goes to blow one out. He almost had a comedy bit there because he's like. <gasps> And she's like, if you blow the mouth, they explode. Like, <laughs> Almost a comedy bit. Almost a comedy bit. Yeah. Almost a comedy bit. So have we uh, have we killed this? Uh, have we beat this horse to death? I, I don't know if we beat it to death. I think we've uh, discussed it. I mean, it's it's not awful. No, it was an awful. awful episode of this no, show. It uh, was yeah. awful. <laughs> I, I honestly yeah, think this, this think? if if this had been an earlier episode, this would have been the one to make me say, yeah, I don't want to watch this anymore. I think if this had, this wouldn't have been an earlier episode. <laughs> so I got I got to go with you know, awful is a very very strong term, but I got to say I'm going to certainly say unsuccessful, um, and. Borderline, just waste of time to me. So I, can, I concur I'm, with you. I'm going to give it, what What do we rank up to? How many stars six. do we get? Up to six? I'm going to make this the lowest on the series for me and give it a two. I'm going to go with a one. I'm, I'm probably going to go lowest for me as well and give it a three. Yeah. I'm going to give it the three faulty hand grenades that will blow up your <laughs> face. But you'll be happy Kaboom. they did. Because oh, it's like... No, like, I will not. <laughs> like we said, it's not a uh, it's not a true episode of The Prisoner. But I like the campy, you know. I like the campy. Maybe John Cleese should have been number two. <laughs> that That would maybe work no terry jones <laughs> so that's terry what Gilliam, we thought terry gilliam could have been a butler yes oh. <laughs> and, but put him in a dress like they do in monty python <laughs> uh what did blaine think blaine says hi guys my first grade teacher would have given Terence Feely and David Tomlin terrible marks for this conclusion, because it's only a very small step above ending with, and it was all a dream. It's fun to get there, but I would have preferred it if the story had some sort of parallel structure with reality, and that we intercut with him telling the story to the kids a piece at a time over several nights. While number six interacted with number two and his assistant during the day, 
with each interaction guiding the direction of the story in a way that still reveals nothing about number six. I wonder if that's why the episode was aired so close to the end. In this era of television, the assumption was that shows consistently and slowly lose viewers over time, so the weakest episodes get aired near the end when it will tarnish the reputation of the show in the fewest minds. See Turnabout Intruder in Star Trek and The Bewitching Pool in The Twilight Zone. While not necessarily the worst episodes of their respective series, the network considered them to be the worst episodes not yet scheduled at the time the cancellation decision was made. While I have deliberately avoided spoilers about later episodes, I do know from the websites discussing the order in which to watch the series that the last two episodes are clearly the last two episodes, with Once Upon a Time coming before Fallout. I'm looking forward to leaving the filler episodes behind to see how it all wraps up. I've got some comments that I've been saving so, for the series. Sounds to me like Blaine's got a pretty good idea. Violent I, I, I think if it had been presented, <laughs> if it had been presented the way Blaine says, where they didn't try and say, oh, this is real. Uh, but and, they didn't. And, but why would you assume any of this is real? Hmm. Because I mean, they're showing it on from TV. A story, yeah, but they're reading it from a storybook at every commercial break. Yeah, yes, I know. you're going to a storybook, and, and and you know what? I don't have to have always have to have structure and order and, and everything. Just we gave enjoy. them order. Just enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Just let yourself go and enjoy fifty minutes of a show and not have to. You know, that's what I did no, last I night when I rewatched this. Order. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. All right, go watch the young order. ones. If see if there's I'm any structure and order in that, right? Yeah. Right, Andy? Yeah, see if there's any structure to the scripts. And that, the young that'll ones. drive you guys batshit crazy if you watch the young ones. Uh, we loved the young ones. Yes, I have heard great things about the young ones. Honestly, what so. it's only got six episodes, and I think it was one of the greatest six episodes ever put on TV. Twelve. Twelve. Okay. But <laughs> two series. <laughs> Double your fun. Yes. Uh, did but you no, have a spot I, I, the other the other flatmate, Bill? Did you have a spot that? Mm, oh, it's been so long. Well, you had you had the four mains. Yes, and there is another flatmate. Certainly in the first season, it is a girl who looks like Viola from The Incredible. She's got really long dark hair, and you only ever see her like in the background. Oh, oh, no, because I'm getting There's another flatmate though that they never talk about. Because well, what's her name from Abfab was in it once, mm. but she was uh, she played Helen. Uh, Helen back. Helen back. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> just to my point, guys, uh, <laughs> I think if if they had done what Blaine said and they really presented it from the point of view, kind of of Hammer into Anvil. You know, number six is playing with number two and trying to give him false clues and, and make him a little nuts, even though it would be repetitive of what we've done a little bit. It would be presented in a different way. And I think it would have made this episode more interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't know if it would have fixed it, but it certainly would have been worth a try because I think, you know, that was that's a pretty good concept that Blaine came up with as to how to present a story like this. And I think it's superior to what they did. I, I agree 100% with Blaine. And well, I also we, agree with Blaine's thoughts that they, you know, they fiddled with the order because they said, yeah, this one's not so great. Let's put this close to the end. Well, we agree to disagree. Yeah, no, we'll I, I don't. That can't be possible because of the order they were filmed. I mean, I suppose they could have fiddled around with the order in, in transmission, I guess. Where did this come in transmission order, Bill? Uh, this was right towards the end. 
This I think like... it's right towards the end in pretty much any transmission order you, you go for. Certainly it was the penultimate episode filmed. This was... Why does it not show? Yeah, well, why Bill's looking at that, the penultimate episode, Once Upon a Time, was actually filmed sixth. Oh, it, so was, it was it was this is where it was. Right. This is, so this. there was some messing around with transmission order, but this always heard at the end. And I think there's a reason if you'd have heard this too soon, I think people like you say would have checked out. Whereas by the time you get towards the end of it, you're like, well, OK, this is another one of those wacky ones, isn't it? Well, at this point, you've got used to it. It wouldn't have made any sense because there would have been you wouldn't like if it was too early. Well, obviously, you wouldn't make it a first one. But if it was too early, because he even says, oh, bring in children. I mean, I I guess with more of Blaine's cutscenes added in, it could have been shown earlier. But I think it works better here. I think it's like I said early on, it cements his control. Hmm. Well, not I mean, it's it. It cements that the village is kind of like, oh, whatever, you know, and we I need to take are, more drastic measures now. Yeah, I, I'm with Bill. Though. I think if you're going to buy into the idea that there is any kind of overarching story to this, <laughs> good luck with that. But mm-hmm. if you do buy into that, then this would certainly be the catalyst for Once Upon a Time, where number two look says, look, you've got to let me do it my way. Rather than Molly coddling him. And that plays into this, I think. Yeah, I don't, you know, I I could see that. Anyway, I guess that's it for this episode. Thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) What are we doing next time? Next time on an all new prisoner. Hickory dickory dock. The mouse ran up the clock. But was it once or twice upon a time? Come in. Take off your hat in my presence. Sorry, sir. The prisoner is made to relive his childhood. Scared. No. Take it. Such such business is above the law. Above the law. Above the law, yes. Tell me. Never. You're guilty. No. Another exciting adventure of Patrick McGowan in The Prisoner. We'll see you next time, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Be seeing seeing you. Who are you? The village people. Who are the supervisor, Paul Spataro. The chess master, Dave Pascarella. Rover, Dr. Bill Robinson. And Andrew Leyland as the butler. The village people investigating the prisoner.